Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations, as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. Well, my, my new friend Brittany is here. Hello. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you. Thanks for coming all the way down from the Great White North up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's real far away. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about yourself, Brittany. Um, well, what do you want to know first? Well, if you ask me that question, it's pretty simple. Everything. Okay, everything. Yeah. This might take longer than an hour then. You got as much time as you need. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll start off with the basics, I guess. Okay. So I was born in BC. That's where my family's from. We moved out here when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of bopped around a little bit, but we lived in Three Hills first. Mm -hmm. Three Hills, Alberta? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we didn't live there very long, mostly in Red Deer. Um, my parents split up when I was about eight years old, and that was interesting. Mm -hmm. how, did that, <laughs> how did that impact you at eight? You know, I thought long and hard about this, and it's really strange. Um, my mom even commented on this once or twice that when they split up, it didn't seem to affect me at all. Like, mm. I was almost happy about it, mm -hmm. which sounds very strange. Um, I think in a way it was kind of a relief because there was a lot of fighting in the mm -hmm. house. But it more impacted me as I got older. Yeah. So I think it did really affect, like, my mental health and my psychological well-being as I got older. But I didn't really realize it until mm -hmm. I was kind of cognizant enough yeah. to notice that. Um, I've always been kind of one of those people that really pushes things down and like doesn't matter what's going on in my life, like the world could be like blowing up beside mm -hmm. me and if I've got a goal, like I am, mm -hmm. I'm on it, I will repress everything as I'm trying to meet that. So yeah, that didn't kind of, didn't really show up until I got older. Mm -hmm. um, then my mom remarried, both my mom and my dad remarried, my dad did first I think mm -hmm. <laughs> I think yeah and then my mom remarried when I was probably oh, 10 um, I really liked my stepdad up until I got into my teen years mm -hmm. then that's when everything kind of went to crap what do you mm. um, yeah so when I was about 14, my stepdad started making advances towards me mm. sexually. Oh, um, 
Um, I always thank God that nothing physical ever did happen Mm -hmm. um, because I did end up bringing it to my mom and she was really great about it. Like she believed me right away Mm -hmm. that this was happening, Um, but it did mess with my mind very severely. Uh, Gave me a lot of kind of messed up ideas of what relationships and sex were Uh and much too young the, the types of things you would talk about to me were not good for a 14-year-old mm. to hear. So I'm still uh, dealing with that one. But I've definitely come to a better place of healing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was pretty tough. And the, the divorce with my mom and him was really hard too. Um, that one almost it more visibly affected me than mm. the one between her and my dad. I think because I was older and because I was more um, able to see what was going on and it directly was, I was directly a part of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was my fault, but it definitely, I was in the center of this one. Mm -hmm. So that was really difficult. Um, But other than that, like growing up, my, my parents were are the most loving, kind, um, uplifting people I know. I don't know what I would do Mm -hmm. without them. They definitely made some mistakes that, uh, well, I mean, all parents make mistakes. But, you know, we all kind of have to learn to accept that and, you Mm -hmm. know, be forgiving of our parents as we get older. And it just kind of grows a relationship too once you are able to get past that. Yeah, so that was. It helps though when your when your parents defend you, right? Like yeah. When, even though that as a fourteen year old, like when they separated with your mom and stepdad, mm-hmm. I mean that would be hard. That would be hard not to take account of, like responsibility for it, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it was directly related to his behavior with you, mm-hmm. right? Like oh when, yeah, it was definitely that. Yeah. Like he was kicked out of the house within twenty four hours, yeah. and I never saw him again. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear that. Like yeah. I really am. That's like excellent parenting. Yeah. Seriously, it is. It's like, that is what, as a social worker, that is what we would be like, yes, like that <laughs> is parenting, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So definitely. But, but yeah. still would have been hard on you, of course. It too. was really hard. And I mean, it wasn't perfect. Um, a few months later, we were living on our own, like just me and my mom and my brother. He was back and forth more. Um she did try to go back to my stepdad Mm -hmm. and that hurt Mm -hmm. very deeply. Um, I always appreciated that she had believed me Mm -hmm. right off the bat, but her going and trying to go back to him, it kind of just washed all that out Mm -hmm. and made me question that she ever did believe me. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have talked about it, me and her. And, She's told me why she did that, and mm-hmm. I understand. Like, she was scared, single mom, of course. Um, family all the way in BC, mm-hmm. just terrified to be on her own with, with two kids, right? Like, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But the effect it did have on me was very severe. So that made relationships very difficult. Like, my relationship with my mom, my mm-hmm. relationship with my dad. My dad, I don't think he knew how to deal with it. He never talked about it with me, never really acknowledged the problem mm-hmm. or acknowledged really 
that even happened. It was just kind of swept under the rug. Mm. Like that's that that other half of the family didn't really want to talk about it. Mm. So I did feel quite alone in it. No doubt. Um, and that's that is when that's definitely when the eating disorder um, behavior started. Because mm. I think I talked told you a little bit about this when yeah, we first met was. Did. That's been my main struggle for a few years now. Mm-hmm. So that all started around 14, 15. Um, started out innocent enough. Like I was a teenager, wanted to, you know, look a certain way, wanted to get in shape. So I started working out and all this, but it quickly became very obsessive. Mm-hmm. And after <laughs> lots of counseling <laughs> and lots of just talking to friends and family about it, it was definitely a control thing at the time mm-hmm. because that's right around when my everything with my stepdad was happening. So, and I felt like I couldn't control anything. Mm-hmm. My stepdad was doing what he was doing. My Mom was emotionally completely spent. My brother was getting into drugs and and my my dad was emotionally just shut down. It felt like everything was out of control. Mm-hmm. And this was the one thing I could be like, I could control this. I'm gonna I'm gonna work out at this time every day. I'm gonna eat this amount of food and I'm gonna make my body look this certain way. It was the only thing I could control at that time in my mm-hmm. life. And so it became very, very obsessive very quickly. And I started getting comments from people about how, like at first it it was good. They're like, oh, you look great, Brittany. Like you, you really look like you're getting in shape and stuff. But then it was never enough for me. I had to get, my weight needed to be lower and lower and lower. I was weighing myself after every single meal, weighing myself probably, 10, 15 times a day if I was at home. It was crazy. That is obsessive. Yes. Very obsessive. Um, I remember on, it was my 15th birthday, I had a certain weight. I was going to sneeze, sorry. (laughs) I saw that. I was like, (laughs) like, oh boy, here it comes. I don't want to do it. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. It went away anyway. Uh, yeah, so on my 15th birthday, I had this like weight goal set in my mind. And so I got up that morning and I was more excited about stepping on the scale that morning than I was at the fact it was my birthday. Mm. And when I stepped on the scale and I had reached my weight goal, I was so relieved that I fell to the floor crying on top of that scale. Mm. Because I was so relieved that I'd gotten to this perfect weight that I had created in my Mm. mind. That's how much it meant to me. And it's just as I've gone through this, seeing how much power that can have over a person Mm. is incredible. It can make you do crazy things. It can make you go for a run at 3 o'clock in the morning. When you have bad arthritis and you should not be running. Look, there's nothing crazier than running to begin with. I know. Like, who does that for fun? I don't get that. Crazy people. Yeah. Just saying. Like, 
The furthest I'll go is the elliptical because at least that keeps my knees and my ankles safe because I'm an jam. old lady. Yeah. But like, seriously. Elliptical. I know, right? Just like sometimes I get too excited when I'm on an elliptical yeah. because the music is really good and yeah. I start creating these like dances in my mind and then I'll just start like moving. start. And then the elliptical starts tipping and I'm like, oh, oh, oh shoot. <laughs> I am not, I am, I'm not in a dance studio, Brittany. Yeah, but you could just notify someone with a camera in there to videotape this shit because <laughs> yes. it's going over. It's going over. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that guy on the treadmill who does the, those epic dances on oh, the treadmill. Yeah. And he doesn't actually die, does he? No, he, he stays doesn't. up on there. He's still around. Yeah, there's yeah. there's been a couple of guys who try to like mimic <laughs> that, and then they I've seen their videos where they're they just, don't make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like just like ass gone. over tea kettle, yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I totally forgot where I was. You don't have to start there. You can start wherever you want. Okay, so okay. You have no rules, man. That's good because I'm like a squirrel brain. Yeah, well, you're with two other squirrel brains, so it's not like you're in bad oh, company. Oh, no. We need a moderator. This could get bad. <laughs> I say two other ones, but probably just you and me. Oh, okay. okay. Darcy's yeah, that's, like... That's what Darcy's here you're for. You're such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all have a purpose. Yeah. That's right. yeah. yeah Mine apparently is being a jerk. I don't know why. Well, I don't want to be Darcy. <laughs> well, we need those people to like toughen up the really nice ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's exactly what and i'm, I'm not go saying with. that because that's me or anything no of course not yeah definitely yes oh yeah you hit your goal 15 i hit my goal oh man that has been in yeah i say interesting a lot anyways um i haven't stepped on a scale or weighed myself in about two years now, mm -hmm. which is really exciting for me. Um, I feel like one of the lucky ones, because I know many people who've gone to even more extremes with mm -hmm. uh, eating disorders and who go through this for a decade or longer. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, it's an entire life. Many people die from eating disorders, mm -hmm. and that's where I could have been going one of the major symptoms of like anorexia is to lose your period because mm -hmm. your body, like for a woman, because your body cannot sustain itself anymore. So yeah. it's telling you like I couldn't even sustain having a pregnancy. So it shuts that part mm -hmm. of you down. And I had lost mine for almost an entire year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely going down a very dangerous path. But luckily I had very good friends and family who helped me uh, maybe not so much my family at first mm -hmm. I was very afraid to tell them but my friends were very supportive and I quickly got onto the road to recovery probably within maybe two years of the like major onset because mm -hmm. you it it's a very insidious kind of start. Like it starts very young mm -hmm. and it all kind of adds up like dominoes until the major signs that you see, like when a person gets very thin or hair loss, mm -hmm. which all happened to me, stuff like that, it, you're already very deep into this. Mm -hmm. So it was probably about two years. Um, but yeah, so once I started recovering, 
the fun part of recovering from severe food restriction is once you stop restricting, your body's like, hey, I need food Mm -hmm. and I need it all the time now. Mm -hmm. And that's why many people begin to binge eat Mm -hmm. after they've gone through this. And it works the same even with just dieting and any type of restrictive eating. Mm -hmm. It's, I think... Especially what I know among many, many women, maybe don't have eating disorders, but have kind of that mentality somewhat. Because mm. many women are afraid to eat certain things or afraid to eat too much. And it's all kind of the same mentality, but it's when it goes to that extreme that it becomes an eating disorder mm. and when it becomes a coping mechanism in life. Um, but yeah, so I started binge eating probably around 17 Hmm. um and that was coupled with a lot of shame and guilt and intensified Hmm. the the hiding aspect of it because sure i was restricting and and not eating enough before but in my kind of eating disorder mind like I looked good, so it was okay. Mm. But the, the binge eating and you start gaining weight, you start um, feeling ashamed now because you can see on the outside what's going on. And when you believe that being bigger is shameful, mm. it's it just all piles up on top of it. Yeah. So, yeah, the binge eating continued... And I feel like I'm just coming out of the woods on mm-hmm. that one now. So that's been 18, 19, four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, been in recovery for longer than that. It takes a long time to get out of these things. Oh my goodness, yeah. But we're you're talking about something that, that as a, like I'm an alcoholic, but I also have experienced many periods of like with food, difficulties yeah. with food, right? Um, but it's, Difficult to recover from more so from like food addiction because we need food. It's right? used every day, at yeah. least three times a day. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I can't imagine like at, at so at 15, when you crumpled on the floor, mm-hmm. like, like what did you do after that? Like at 15, because just so you know, when I was 15 and I was crumpled on the floor, I slept it off and then I got off the floor and went back at it again. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure, right? Like what happened? Uh, like how I went about the yeah, rest of I the mean, day. Yeah, because I mean, you're so young, right? Like, did you have someone in your life at that time that kind of mentioned something to you or? Not, not really, I don't think. It wasn't until, I didn't, because I didn't, I didn't even tell anyone that about my stepdad mm. until months after the fact. Like, I went mm. back to school that fall. Yeah. My friends didn't even know that. My mom and my stepdad split up until a few months into mm-hmm. school. Um, so I didn't tell anybody about what was going on with the eating disorder mm-hmm. for a while either. It wasn't until actually we went to this, it's like a Christian young adults retreat thing that mm-hmm. me and my friends would go to every spring. I kind of forget what it was called now. <laughs> That's terrible because I still have the t-shirts. 
Um, but it was really great. It was at a Bible college. It was I really think. awesome, but we can't remember. <laughs> yeah, anything. there was a bright green t-shirt. It's like all the best parties I've ever been to. Oh, yeah. They were fantastic. <laughs> it was great. I don't remember anything. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yeah, so we went to that one spring, probably like a year after. And that's when I told my friends what was going on. And, of course, like, they didn't really know what to do about it either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I d- they encouraged me to speak to a counselor, which I did. And she really tried to help me. But I was in such a mindset that I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. They're just trying to – like, this is what I thought at 15. They're just trying to make me fat because they're jealous. Like, mm-hmm. that's what 15-year-old Brittany was thinking. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't listen to anybody. I would accept support. I would accept, you know – like their pity and mm-hmm. all that. But if anyone actually tried to help me or give me advice, I didn't want it. Yeah. So I was definitely not ready to recover at mm. that point. Oh, you're pretty young. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it's hard to get, you know, a 15, 16 year old to really like change their own mentality. Yeah. Cause that's been the whole, the whole process is, I had certain ways of thinking and mentalities that got me into that because Mm -hmm. you have to have certain core beliefs and values about yourself to even Mm -hmm. fall into something like that. And mine were very low of myself, low Mm self-esteem. I thought I had to look a certain way to be, you know, perceived as beautiful, all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. I had those core beliefs and I wasn't willing to change them. So once I came to the point where I was willing to change them, that's when... I was really able to start recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I really even came to the point of completely surrendering up those beliefs and values till less than a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I first, when I met you, I think it was in like September or October. I want to say September, October. Yeah, I can't quite remember. Yeah. yeah, so even then, I wasn't, my recovery wasn't as in-depth as it is now, Yeah, meeting you again a few months later. Really? Yeah. Okay. The The amount of change in the last few months since first meeting you in the fall has been immense. Really? I can't even describe how far I've come in just the last few months, mm-hmm. and... Part of why I think that is, is at that time I'd actually joined a Celebrate Recovery group. Really? Yeah. We call our we call our, our service Celebrate Life Recovery. Oh, really? Did you see that when you came in? I saw, like, uh, I think it was Claude. He, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he asked me if I'd been to it, and I was like, oh, no, I haven't. That sounds familiar, though. Yeah, that's so funny. Is it, is it like, do you guys do, like, the 12 steps kind of thing, too? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been in. It's at my church in Red Deer. It's, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, is it the same one? I don't or think, I don't know if it's the same program or it's not. It's like John Baker or something. Not like that Warren. one. Yeah. Are this, so I think there's a Celebrate Recovery mm-hmm. and then there's Celebrate Life Recovery. Mm. So ours is Celebrate Life Recovery. So okay. ours is a little different. Okay. Our, ours takes a little bit of a bigger, um, I would say a bigger leap away from the Bible, but okay. it also, but it still incorporates the Bible. Like it's not, okay. not totally separate. Yeah. But it's not like a AA or a NA? No, 
like 12 step program. We, yeah. The like, celebrate life. We use the AA steps. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's yeah. not the, no, it's like somewhere in between kind of thing. Yeah. It's more of a hybrid, right? Like yeah. That's, that's kind of what celebrate recovery is. Yeah. So tell Except, us about that. Yeah. So celebrate recovery is very Christ centered yeah. and very much centered on the Bible. We have a Celebrate Recovery Bible. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So, that's what I've been going through. And I kind of actually just fell into it. Mm -hmm. Um, It started in September, but I didn't get in until October because I'd been kind of contemplating going, but wasn't really sure if I was like wanting to or not. Mm -hmm. But a friend of mine who I've known for years and years and years, she had been in one for the last year and she had gone through like terrible separation with her husband mm. and just I I I admire this woman so so deeply for how strong she's been and what what's gone on with her family in the last year and she started celebrate recovery when all that was going on mm. and just seeing the strength in her through that I was like hmm Maybe this could help me. Mm-hmm. So she sent me the address and the time for the next step study meeting that was going on. Because I had just been going to their like drop-in, like mm-hmm. Friday night type things. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for a step study. But she sent me the address and the name of the person and everything. And it was so like, it wasn't like, oh, maybe you should check this out. It was like, it's at this time and this time and you should go. And I almost felt like it was like an order and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going like, Fine. sure. So I showed up a month, a month late. They didn't really even know I was coming. I just showed up. They were already in the middle of it because I'm chronically late and I walk in the room. Everyone looks up and stares at me and there's like 25 women in this room and everyone's just like, who is this random girl that just walked into our very personal meeting? At least that's what I imagined they were thinking. Mm -hmm. Someone might have been thinking that. Probably. (laughs) But the leader, uh, she's like, oh, oh, you must be, you must be Brittany. Yeah, someone mentioned you. Okay, um, yeah, sit down. She got me sat down and everything. And and then at the end of it, she's like, okay, so you need to like buy the Bible. You need to buy the step guides. And I hadn't even decided if I was going to commit to this, but I'm so like, I'm, I'm the nice person. So I go along with things. And so I was like, okay. You you found out why Bible salesmen made a living back in the day walking around selling Bibles, eh? Yeah. Cause they find people like me. Well, they just find people who like, I mean, Everybody wants to find the answer, right? It's like, true, yeah, yeah. I bought lots of books thinking it was the answer to something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I was like, okay, and I didn't even have the money on me, and so they trusted me, and they just gave it all to me, and were like, oh. please make sure you pay us and don't run off with this stuff. It's like, okay. So I... <laughs> <laughs> when you made that face, all I could picture was every elderly <laughs> church lady I've ever seen. Oh, don't really? you run off with that stuff! <laughs> Shaking in the air. Shaking a fist. Yeah, or a cane. Or a cane. Or both. Yeah. I've always imagined being that old lady. You never know. Except I'm sitting on a porch with spiked iced tea and Ah. I'm telling kids about, you know, life and giving them advice. Yeah. 
That's my dream for the future. Well, you could be a, you could be doing that. You don't have to be a <laughs> church lady to do that, right? No, you can be anything to do that. Yeah, totally. Doesn't you just mean have your to have the stuff good. to spike the iced tea with. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, so I got into the Celebrate Recovery group, and I gave her the $70 or however much it cost. I don't remember now, but it was significant enough that I was like, okay, I am committed to this now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spit my water up. Don't do that. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> You're just a mess over there sneezing and I spitting. I know. Well, this is what Darcy has to deal with every week. Oh, Darcy, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you forgot my bib. I wasn't going to say anything. You need one of those things from like Waterland or SeaWorld or whatever where you have to wear, you know Oh, like a poncho? About? Yeah. Yeah, like a poncho. You a need rain a poncho. poncho. Yeah. Just like, I, like a life poncho. A celebrate life poncho. Hey. Yeah. We just we just, we just up did. With we got a new product. We're gonna make mad sales now. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. All right, <laughs> sweet. So okay, so you're in you got involved in celebrate re- celebrate recovery. Yeah. Right? This has been probably the hardest but most beneficial thing I've ever done for myself. Mm-hmm. Um So what do you find hard about it? Because you have to be honest with yourself. Mm. You have to be willing to change your ideas and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You have to be ready to give up what your idea of recovery is going to look like too. Because mm-hmm. um, I always had this, like these steps, I guess, in my mind, like I'm recovered when. Mm. And I always thought that, you know, I would know that I was making progress when I was, but that's not the case. Most of the time you have no idea you're making progress. And then a situation comes up and you react differently to it than you would have six months ago. And you go, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I've made progress. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, you you have to trust the process too. That's a big thing I'm learning is um, with any type of recovery, you have to trust the process that you're in and commit fully to it mm-hmm. or else you're not going to get as much out of it as you could yeah. and it's not going to take you where you need to be unless you're focused, I think, because we have sponsors in this too. Okay, good, cool. Um, my sponsor told me the other day, she asked me, she said, what if you committed to this as if your life depended on it. Mm-hmm. What if you looked at this and put absolutely everything in it because your life depends on it? And mm-hmm. I said, well, I think my recovery would definitely be different than what it looks like when I'm not committed. Mm-hmm. Um, she just got me really thinking about that. And she's, she's awesome, by the way. Yeah. If she ever listens to this, you're great. <laughs> 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 That's odd. I'm so glad to hear that you guys have sponsors too. Yeah, it's so helpful. And you mm-hmm. know what? I was terrified to get a sponsor. I don't know why. Um, maybe it's because like, oh man, I have to actually talk to this person about my yeah. issues. Um, but it was really, I was definitely avoiding finding one. Mm-hmm. Again, I was late on finding mine. Everyone else had theirs before me. But I finally went to like my last chance to find one. All these ladies who had like finished the study and who are now available to be sponsors mm-hmm. were going to stand up and introduce themselves. 
And I had just been like praying that I would find the right person. And my leader like told me, she's like, you know, praying that God would show the right person to me. And I didn't really think about it until after the fact, but the girl who is my sponsor now, I literally picked her out of that crowd of like 25 women. I just saw her and was like, I need to talk to her. Like before she even spoke, I just saw her. And so I did talk to her and how kind and genuinely interested and compassionate toward me she was when mm. I met her actually kind of scared me a little bit. Right? I was like... Isn't that freaky? Um, it's like, okay, either this person is amazing or they're a little crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. I think we all have some crazy. Yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, it, it almost scared me how, how mm. compassionate she was towards me. And so that's been a huge help is having that person um, just a couple weeks ago. I was, um, okay, so this is another thing. I also struggle. I would never, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm an alcoholic, but I definitely use alcohol and abuse mm. it. Um, it's gotten worse in the last few years when I moved out of my parents' place and, you know, had my own, um, you know, just that freedom. Yeah. Um, it was really bad when I first moved out, um, me and a, a friend of mine, we were, we had some, we had some times. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should get specific. I just wonder how specific, but we should get pretty specific. Yeah, yeah I don't know how specific I want to go on that one. <laughs> I just kidding. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I deal with that. And the other night, a couple weeks ago, I was really struggling, um, just being tempted, wanting to go too far with alcohol. Like mm. I was ready to just like binge drink by myself, mm. which I've done multiple times. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. Like, like, how am I going to get out of this? Like, I want to do this so badly. And then it popped up in my eyes like, hey, wait a second, Brittany you have someone to talk to about this exact thing. You have someone that is there for you for this exact mm -hmm. purpose. And she is waiting for you to call her in these moments. I was like, I just start crying. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have somebody. Somebody is there for me for this. Mm -hmm. They know that this is a struggle of mine, but they want to be there for me and help me through this. And so I did, I called her, I called my sponsor and it did it got me out of that i yeah. the 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 need and the urge to drink it, it went away it's got goosebumps yeah yeah i did I like yeah it. and it was just the best feeling and so now i know that i have like i know i have my god to go to but even just as people we do need that physical person for sure we do um I'm a strong believer in, um, you know, in Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything with Christ, but a lot of times he works through other people mm -hmm. and having that physical presence, that person to put their arm around your shoulder, that yeah. person to hold you when you are at your worst and still love you, 
that means a lot. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a big part of my recovery in the last few months. Um, uh, yeah, so definitely alcohol has been a struggle for me, which is weird because even when I was a kid, like, I don't know why I was thinking about this when I was a kid, but I remember saying to myself in the dentist's office, don't know why there, but saying to myself, I'm never going to have an eating disorder. <laughs> I'm never going to get fat and I'm never going to have a zit. I think it was like 10. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously I got a lot of zits. Um, I did develop an eating disorder and I did gain weight when I was binge eating. And then another thing I said is like, and if I don't have people to help me one day, I feel like I would become an alcoholic. Hmm. I don't know why that came into my mind at 10 years old. Hmm. I thought that. And it didn't, I didn't even think of that until like a few days ago that came up Mm. and I was like, why was I thinking about that at 10? It's like something was telling me this was going to be a problem and it did become a problem. Mm. Uh, When I moved out of my parents' house, I think I spent the first year just drinking Mm. almost every day, getting buzzed or tipsy at least every day, full on drunk a few times a week, uh, mostly in the summertime. Even when I was like working, I would go to work hungover. Very, very often. Um, And a lot of that was just, it was just looking for, looking for validation, I guess. And, you know, you see like those people who go to parties and, you know, they have all these people who want to be around them. They're so fun. And in my mind, that was, that meant that you were worth something Mm -hmm. just like with looking a certain way. So I thought, okay, you know, this this is what I got to do. So I started, and it was a lot of, like, coping, too. Like, I did not know how to deal with my emotions. Yeah. Still working on that. But <laughs> I've managed to perfect it, perfect the art of dealing with my emotions. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I believe you. <laughs> That's a crock of shit. We just get a little bit better at Let's either. just stir the pot, yeah. stir we, the crock. As we get older, we just get a little bit better at like keeping it to ourselves when we know it's inappropriate. But then <laughs> we also then hit another age where we then stop caring about it being inappropriate. Mm. Right? I haven't got that age yet quite, but so sometimes I think I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. I believe that's probably correct. Much mm. like my moral compass, Darcy. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Self-awareness is very important. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. So what are you what are you thinking about the drinking? Like, what? Are, how does that feel to you now? Like, you've talked to your sponsor, and it's been a few days. A few or days. since you talked to your sponsor, I can't remember the time frame. Oh, the last like when I talked to her about the drinking. Yeah. Or? Yeah. That was. I think that was a yeah. That was a few days ago. Yeah. Um. We haven't talked about the drinking as much as the eating and everything because that's Well, it sounds like it's your primary, right? Yeah, it is my primary one. Hmm. Um, But what do I think about the drinking now is... I don't know what I think about it, to be honest. It's difficult. It is. Right? I, I use it when... I use it when I want to, I guess, kind of let go. Mm -hmm. When I have 
all this pent up anxiety or fears or worry, it's so easy to just, you know, have a drink and let your mind kind of not be your own mind for a little bit. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. And it's also definitely used in the like social situations. Mm -hmm. If I'm uncomfortable, I would just drink to feel comfortable and then I would go too far. Mm. Um, kind of like that all or nothing feeling. I didn't yeah. really know how to balance that. And I still struggle with that sometimes. Yeah. Um, and using it just when I'm dealing with emotions, anything from the past, like mm -hmm. that's something I really struggle with is letting the past kind of affect my present. Mm -hmm. I can be going about my day not really thinking about anything and then just these voices in my mind mm -hmm. of like conversations with people I've had in the past or things that have happened in my family and I'll just start having these like arguments and conversations in my mind and and like all the like pent-up anger or you know hurt that that we kind of carry with us mm -hmm. like that'll just hit me sometimes and the easiest way to cope with that is like to eat or to drink sometimes yeah. and i i definitely like i think they've talked about like counselors talk about this is switching one addiction for another or switching one like coping mechanism for another yeah absolutely definitely was replacing binge eating with alcohol mm -hmm. because for the most part drinking alcohol isn't doesn't affect me like my physical body how i look mm -hmm. as much as binge eating so instead of you know binge eating six packs of twizzlers or mm -hmm. whatever i'd have I'm pretty lightweight, so a few, not too many drinks, but a few drinks, and I would feel pretty much the same feeling, mm. but, you know, less the calories my, you know, mm. mind would do. So that was a huge factor in it. That's an, like, seriously, that's super interesting. I'm not even sure, like, what the brain does there, hey? Like, that's just wild. Yeah. Where you're actually able to calculate the calories. And just, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I can't imagine it, but I could see, like, you know, taking care of my doses mm. of morphine during the week the same way, kind of counting mm. out how much morphine I'll be allowed to get away with <laughs> and how much <laughs> is too much, right? Yeah. Wow, what a what a brain. Yeah. Well, like when you come from, because I used to, oh, I don't want to be like, I don't want to talk too much about specifics and be triggering, but like when I counted calories, mm -hmm. like I could tell you the exact amount of calories in every single meal I ate from memory. I yeah. didn't have to log it into anything. You'd put something on my plate. Mm -hmm. I could tell you how many calories were in each item on that plate and how much time I would need in the gym to burn off the amount that I thought appropriate. Yeah. I could tell you exactly like I could tell you exactly that. And then I would do the same thing with alcohol. You know, this alcohol has this amount of calories. Okay, well, let's switch out three drinks times that amount of calories versus, you know, six bags of Twizzlers. Like yeah. that's the mental math. And I would do that in like 30 seconds flat and be like, obviously drinking is the answer. So if there's anyone out there listening to this 
and wondering, well, is eating disorder really an addiction issue? Well, if you just listen to her talk about how much of a junkie she was, because she could count the calories and the beers, like seriously, that's what we do with with what we did with drugs and alcohol too, right? Mm. We just we count, we had everything kind of mapped out. Mm. We thought we did, and then eventually the map doesn't work anymore because Mm. you just start doing too much, too much, Mm. right? And um, like as you're talking, it just it reminds me of um, the especially with the drinking. I remember, it reminds me of a story. I was with my older brother. I was 15. I went to visit him in Germany. And I'd already had a problem by that point with alcohol. I didn't know it yet, but I had a problem mm. looking back. And we were driving. And I was trying to, I was trying to lose weight as well. Because, mm. like, this is a truth for me. And I'm not going to speak for all, all men. Or, but it's just as true for me as it is for women or other men who go through it. Men, we just don't talk about it. Mm. Especially with each other, right? We we're starting to maybe more talk about mm-hmm. it but i was so fat shamed when i was young really? right and then yeah like super shame and so i never forgot the voices mm. through all those years so anyway i'm in germany with my older brother and we're gonna go get a drink because mm. i just landed right and um we're driving and i'm like oh i don't want beer and because of the calories and when you're mm-hmm. saying that i'm like holy crap like i did that like yeah I, and uh it's just it's so wild hey like mm-hmm. the so whenever people are thinking like these, like the process addictions, the the alternatives to the chemicals, even though we know that the processes release chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. There, it's not the chemical that does it; it's just the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's all just intertwined in pain, mm-hmm. right? Like and and disconnection, like that that doctor or that author was saying, you know, um, Johan Hari. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I cut you off there, but that just reminded me of that story. And I'm, I am blown away by how close, closely related we are, even though we're not closely related, right? Like Mm. there's just so, there's so many similarities between the eating disorder that -hmm. you're describing um, and just other addictions. Yeah. Right. Like, and so you're, are you finding that, that like you're starting to answer Mm -hmm. the same calling that the, like the binge eating is a calling, right? It's kind of like that. I don't know how it starts for eating, but with drinking, it's kind of like the thought starts and then you start like thinking about it. And then when you start thinking about it, your brain starts releasing chemicals mm, to make you want to. You get some. excited just thinking about That's it. That's right. Yeah, you get excited yeah. just thinking about exactly. it, right? Exactly. Because there's all kinds of things. So you started to uncover that alcohol might be a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, is there like, do you notice any other things or is it kind of... Like other addictions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What I've come to learn, at least this is what I I think from observing other people and myself, is all addictions, no matter their substance, eating, any type, I think they all come from the same place. They come Mm -hmm. from the same place of pain. They come from the same place of those processes and those kind of core beliefs and Mm. what we're using them for and so I think that's why when you have one it's so easy to have another Mm -hmm. Um, another thing another one that's definitely come up for me which is a little more difficult to talk about is sex Mm -hmm. that's been a very difficult one for me I don't want to put you on the spot. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. 
No, I think it's important to talk about. Okay. I think a lot of people are afraid to bring up something like that. Mm -hmm. And there's, I mean, we all feel shame with any type of addiction, but that is one that is definitely, I think, hidden even further mm -hmm. than other ones, especially in Christian or religious communities. Um, How it's, so? Because it's, it might be a generational thing, but people are often afraid to bring it up there. It's like, like my parents could never talk about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so when you have a problem with something like that, if you have a problem with lust, if you have a problem with porn, if you mm -hmm. have a problem with a sexual addiction, people do not want to bring that up. They're like, yeah, okay, like yeah. go deal with it, but don't, don't really talk about it. We don't need to know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are many more people nowadays that are able to bring it up mm -hmm. and the church is becoming a little more vocal about things Some like this. Some churches are, yeah. Some. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyways, so, and that one has come from the same place too. It's mm -hmm. just wanting that, a validation, wanting that, you know, I am, as a woman, I am beautiful, I am attractive and, and desired. That's where all that came from. Mm -hmm. And so... I started turning to the approval of men. I started turning to that sexual attention, even as a very young girl. It didn't start out with sex. It started mm -hmm. out with, I just thought about when I was probably, probably started as early as eight or nine, ten. I would just think about crushes and boys. Mm -hmm. Like my diaries were like, you could just theme them by what boy I liked at that time. <laughs> <laughs> like my purple butterfly <laughs> diary from third grade was all about this boy. The He's got a daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you know. But it was almost obsessive. Like yeah. I didn't talk about anything else in my diaries. I thought about that all the yeah. time. It's just I wanted that that love and it's mm -hmm. natural we as human beings crave that kind of intimacy That's with the person sure. but it can go too far mm -hmm. um yeah so i didn't even realize that it, that was a problem yeah. until it became a, a physical problem years down the road when yeah. i was old enough for that but so it started there and then just kind of ruminating on this. Like, mm. you know, do boys think I'm attractive, you know, in high school? Do they care? Do I look okay to them? And then I had my first boyfriend when I was 17. And that became a sexual relationship. And and it's that's when it kind of started becoming addictive because I put more, I guess weight on the physical relationship than the actual connection mm -hmm. and emotional intimacy because I think when you enter into that kind of relationship not mature enough like I wasn't mature enough mm -hmm. or not understanding a what a relationship's meant for um, it can quickly like the physical can take over yeah. because it is very powerful mm -hmm. and then that's what a person that's what you begin to think about all the time. It becomes more of a sexual relationship than, like, it definitely altered that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it didn't help that when I brought it up to him that I didn't want this, I was brushed off mm -hmm. and um, not acknowledged. Um, kind of just acted like I was, you know, some dumb little girl who couldn't handle, you know, life. She's older than me. 
So that didn't help either. Mm -hmm. But that started out a very negative path for my relationships until it came to the point where I didn't even have relationships anymore. Mm -hmm. It was just sex. And that that didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. It it just hurt me a lot and definitely skewed my idea of relationships and and really who I was as a person. Yeah. Uh, I think I think a lot of people have that problem. Maybe mm. not to the same extent, or even more. Like I know there are people who have um, stronger sexual addictions than even that, where it's constant. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know how they got to that by ignoring it where you're at, mm-hmm. right? Like that doesn't happen overnight. That happens. That's a progression of that illness, right? Mm-hmm. If you if we use anything. And sex is just such a good thing to use, right? That it's like this natural thing we're supposed to be doing anyway, mm-hmm. you know? So how are you feeling with that today? Like, what, what are you at with that? Today, it's um, it can be a struggle sometimes. I've definitely come quite far um, since I admitted that I didn't have a problem. Mm-hmm. I didn't admit that there was a problem with sex or alcohol until probably... Three months ago, mm-hmm. um, I didn't even realize I had a problem with them till I started going to celebrate recovery. Okay. I went to celebrate recovery because I wanted to get over the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. But as I was going through that, I started uncovering these other things in myself. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the first day I went and, you know, we do the whole like, hi, my name is Brittany. Mm-hmm. I'm a grateful believer and I struggle with. So my struggle was eating disorders and then the very first time I ever said and I think I have a problem with sex and alcohol and that was a huge turning point for Mm -hmm. me was admitting it to somebody else was bringing that to the light because it almost it takes a lot of the shame out of it Mm -hmm. shame it it does it's such a killer When you are clouded in shame and guilt, what are you going to do? You're going to hide. And when when you're hiding, is anyone going to be able to help you? No. And when I was finally able to bring that up, that's when I started recovering from Mm -hmm. that. And I'm so glad that it was shown to me that that was even a problem. Because like you said, it would just go further Mm -hmm. and further until all of a sudden I go, how did I get here? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, because it's a progression. Yeah, it is, and that's part. That was part of mine as well. Was the progression into the darkness that is the bathhouse making money? Right, like that's mm-hmm. how deep it went. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm grateful to hear that you're so young mm-hmm. and so like digging into your own life, like digging it right, figuring out who you are and. Yeah, I got a big old shovel. Yeah, that's good though. <laughs> so what what steps, like how do the steps work there with that? Um, or how did you find them? Is that what helped you uncover more of the stuff? Or Yeah, I'm really bad for that too. My sponsor will like frequently be uh, asking me when I have a problem like, Brittany, remember step one or remember <clears throat> step two? I'm like, um, I don't remember what it is. <laughs> um But uh, the first step, I think, is admitting that we, something about admitting we have a problem Mm -hmm. and that we are powerless to change it. We Mm -hmm. can't do it on our own. And that's the whole 
accepting Christ's power and accepting him as our our savior because mm. a lot of people will even come to it who who don't who aren't believers at that point yep. um but yeah that's the first step and i don't think i fully grasped that first step until the last couple of months it's pretty recent because admitting to yourself that you are powerless and that you can't change yourself mm. and that you do need help can be very very difficult. Are you kidding? It's one of the most difficult things a human is going to have okay, to do. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that was an under-exaggeration. Yeah, absolutely. It is very, very yeah. hard. It's very hard on one's pride. Mm-hmm. That was a big one for me because I grew up, I don't know, I guess I was like the star child or whatever. I was like, I don't know, I was nice to people and I did well in school and, and, you know, I got good grades and I listened to my parents. So, you know, I was like the, the, the Christian girl, the good Christian girl. And a lot of it was just an act because Mm -hmm. I wanted to please, you know, my parents and whatnot. So I had this huge like pride complex where I'm like, yeah, I've got it all going. Like, I'm a good person. I'm good looking. I got, you know, I'm smart. All this pride in my mind. And so when I really, when these problems really did show up, it was like, no, like, I can't admit I have a problem because then that would mean, you know, like, I have to let go of some of this pride. I'm not not as awesome or as perfect as I thought I was. You're just you know? as awesome. You're oh, okay. perfect. Okay, Yeah. <laughs> Having, sure, I'll accept that. Good, because having having difficulties doesn't make you less awesome. Okay, we having can difficulties go with that. and being a total asshole about it that makes you less awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I accept your point. Yeah. Well, thank you, because I <laughs> I just think that you know, like when I said that about your mom when she left mm. right after you told her, like, and then you continued on. So if I had been patient and waited, I would have heard this. But the truth is, I still mean it. That's mm. a good move that you made. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that when when a partner gets into that cycle, right? It's mm-hmm. hard to let it go. Mm-hmm. So it's it's no wonder she wanted to go back because it's safe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I wasn't saying good job, mom, and then not saying bad job, mom. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, that's the reality of it. Yeah. It's not about good or bad anyway. Mm-hmm. My overzealous nature got the best of me again. Mm-hmm. And I went, yes! Because <laughs> that's just no, what I do. Good. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know where I was now. Uh, the steps. How, so how have they helped you uncover kind of, um, and you don't have to tell me the word for word. I'm terrible at remembering stuff too. Mm. It's just a matter of like, was that kind of what helped you uncover these other difficulties and maybe that there was more to it than what you might have thought at first, right? Hmm. I have to think about that actually. Yeah. Well, because you came in, right? And, and you said, um, or you came into the Celebrate Recovery mm-hmm. and you said, I have a problem with Food, eating. Food, eating or whatever, yeah. right? And then through doing like the discussions and stuff, did you start to realize? Or was it like you woke up one day after drinking all night and you were like, um, you peed the bed or something like that, <laughs> right? Well, I probably had, you know, one or two too many uh, late nights drinking by myself mm-hmm. in the bathtub. So yeah. that was an indicator But um, it just kind of got worse and worse because, you know, the step study is hard. It's very Mm -hmm. emotionally taxing. So I think I started drinking even more 
to kind of cope with that. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, raised some red flags. But then a huge part of this Celebrate Recovery step study was, is prayer and really asking, like, show me what is going on in my heart that is contributing to this, what needs to change. And I really think that God just started kind of digging that stuff out Mm -hmm. of me and bringing it to the surface for me to see because it's happened with other things too, not not addictions, but character traits, things I didn't realize were in me. Like I did a spoken word poem a few months, weeks ago on jealousy that I had written Mm -hmm. because one night I was praying and just asking God, you know, like what's what's going on that's causing me to have these issues with my friends? And I started reading certain passages in the Bible and it just like clicked in my mind. Oh my goodness, I have a huge problem with jealousy and envy. Mm. And then so many friendships in the past that have disintegrated or have been hard it made sense now. I was like, okay, I have an issue with this. And so I just, I prayed that God would really work, work with me through that. Mm. And so that's why I wrote the the poem that I did. And it was kind of like, like I was apologizing to, it was basically all the girls I'd ever hurt Mm -hmm. because that's like a huge thing with girls, you know, being catty and mean. And I've, I know. It's, it's true. Um, but I had been a part of that and I thought I was above that, but mm-hmm. I so wasn't like in my heart, maybe on the surface, yeah. you know, controlling, but in my heart, I was still not, I was still thinking that way. Do you want to read it? Right now? I mean, when you're done telling the story, you can, if you want. Yeah, I, I think. If you have it. I, I think Would you like I to hear it? it? If you're, if you're willing to. Yeah. But yeah. Keep telling the story. Sure. I'm sorry. I didn't want you to not, I didn't want to forget and I'm not taking notes no, because I can't I, do two things No, I think at once. I have it on my phone. I also have it videotaped too, so oh. you can watch it if you want. It's on my blog, but well, we'll we'll post your blog stuff. Sure, yeah. For the for the episode, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that would be really cool. Okay. Um, but I can read it here if you want. Absolutely, I'd love it. All right. Um, so yeah. okay, so you wrote this poem, and I didn't mean to interrupt. Poem. I do that all the time. You're allowed because <laughs> I feel like I talk so much. It's nice to have some introduction. So Fair that's enough. Good. That's, that's and good. I'll just like keep going and going and going. So like if you didn't do that, I would just keep talking. You don't see me moving around. Okay. All right. We're <laughs> <I'm> good. good. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wrote this poem. It was an issue. Yada, yada, yada. So working through that. Um, what else has Did you get up? any feedback from your friends? On the poem or? Yeah, on the poem. Yeah. They, well, how did it, how did, was it received? They loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh I performed it at an open mic. So what? everyone clapped and cheered and talked to me after. So I guess they liked it. Nice. Yeah. It was really cool. I love doing stuff like that. That is awesome. Yeah. I was actually just at a poetry slam here in Calgary last month. And that's the first competition I've ever been in for that. It was really cool. You just competed in a poetry slam and we're just hearing about it at this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking cool. Yeah. Where was it at? Tell us about it. It was at Dickens Pub. Yeah, Dickens okay. Pub. Um, they do one the f- last Monday of every month, I believe it, it is. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> you know how they put the poetry slams on Monday night? <laughs> Fuck. I know, right? Just, just just start your week off with, yeah. like, all the emotions and... Well, it's, it's like there's only a few of us who really like fucking poetry. I know. Right? Yeah. So May as well do Monday. it on a Monday. Yeah. Nothing else. Okay, so you did it on the Monday. It's the last Monday of every month. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so... And I had my good friend Madison with me there, too, and she did it also. Um cool. We were just gonna go to observe you know it's like first slam we've ever mm-hmm. been to you're just gonna watch it no she's like Brittany, we came here all the way from red deer we're entering the competition mm-hmm. i was like you've got to be kidding me so she writes her poems on the spot as we're waiting to go up after we've signed up and i'm going through my phone like holy crap which one am i gonna do like editing because you have to keep it within three minutes for a competition Mm. all of my poems are like freaking eight ten minutes long so i was just editing the crap out of these trying to take stuff out of them and i went so over time still that's i didn't make it to the second round i got really good scores but i died because yeah, they took like all of my points because I went way over time. Whatever. But you read your poem, great. man. It was amazing. And so I was up there. I was scared as I was walking up. But once I got up on the stage, mm-hmm. this is an actual stage, like the open mic in Red Deer. It's just like on the floor and, you know, there's a microphone. But this one, there was a stage and there were lights. There were way more people. I was like, this is so cool. Nice. So I got up there. It was just completely calm. Like, yeah. This is where I want to be. And so I read the poem out and I just felt so completely in the zone. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling. Yeah. I'm a talker. I like to talk. Mm-hmm. So I had like 30 people eyes on me and I got to talk about whatever I wanted. It was great. Mm-hmm. So I did my poem. And at this one, one of the things you do is you don't clap. But if you hear something you like, you snap. Oh, okay. And honestly, I wasn't expecting to hear any snaps because, I don't know, I was being self-deprecating like, no one's going to really care about this. So it actually threw me off. When I started hearing snaps, I was Mm -hmm. like, whoa, oh, okay, focus, keep going, okay. They're snapping. Just keep going. Nice. And it was really cool. So it's a total side note, but. That's an awesome side note, though. It was so much fun. I didn't know you were a poet. I didn't really no, know it either. I did kind of know it from your blog. Yeah. Oh, I kind of yeah. got the impression, I should say. Ah, yeah. well, that's, that's good. Yeah. I didn't know I was a poet either. The first uh, spoken word I ever did was, it was in November. It's the first time I've ever done it, and now mm-hmm. I've done it at least once a month since then. Yeah. So, cool. yeah, it's good been for fun. You. Right on. I'm going to, let's take a second, and you, how much time we got? We're at an hour and 10. Hour and 10? Holy let's, smokes. I know. I, I wasn't worried about it at all. Oh, okay. It's been Awesome. Um, do you want to grab your phone and yeah, and we'll do the poem. So you can just like move this. And while she's going to get her phone, I'm going to regale Darcy with the story of my youth. Darcy, there was a time when did I ever tell you the story though? When I used to live in Kensington and I was still drinking way back in the day, and I came out in the middle of the night, like at it was like two in the morning. I didn't expect to see anybody outside, but I'm buck naked. And I'm, cause I'm totally messed up. Right. And so I'm standing on the grass it's in the summertime, buck naked. And I'm like, it's two in the morning. So I'm not worried about it, but I was hot. My apartment was like overheating or whatever. Um, I was probably just freaking out. And I, I walked 
outside, so I'm on the lawn, I'm buck naked, and the neighbor lady comes out walking her dog. And I'm like, I look over and, and, and I, I, I said, nice marmot, like that. And I started laughing and she goes, you're naked. <laughs> so I obviously I was like, you are correct. And I turned around like with dignity and walked back in my apartment. That's right. And now you all know that I have been seen naked outside at least once. <laughs> that was a slow clap if you can't hear it. They're both making fun of me now. That's awesome. I've written a couple of them, dude. Yeah. They're not very good, though. <laughs> yeah, that's a good story, man. And every time I tell it, if it's a big Lebowski fan, they're like, did you actually say nice marmot? I'm like, yeah, it was a little Jack Russell Terrier. And I remember oh, it. I, never even I know. But, and I said, of course I said that. Why wouldn't I? All right. Now, prepare for the stylish, wonderful poetry of Brittany. Thank you for the wonderful introduction there. You're welcome. All right. So this one, very creatively titled Jealousy. Oh my God. Yeah, it's mind-blowingly creative. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To the girl I called stupid in eighth grade and ninth, tenth, 11th, I rallied against the bully, yet all along it was me, add hypocrite to my high school degree. I really didn't mean it truly if I'd only seen it. You got your assurance from your creator, and I called you stupid because I was trying to fill a crater in myself. Me, myself, and my identity, who was I called to be? A question that haunted me. Every day, looking out at the people who seemed to know the way. And that's just it. Didn't know who I was, so I threw a fit. Straight out of the boat, I chained myself to. While I watched you, out there on the water, not just getting your feet wet yet. I was treading water, you were scuba diving. Searching for your own pearls, no lifeboat. A kind of faith I wished I could hold. To the pretty girl in high school. I feel like she's talking to me. <laughs> I looked up to you, but you probably never knew. Because standing face to face, I tell you how lovely, how wonderful I thought you were. But in my mind, strung up lights of lies stringed together about the girl behind those big, beautiful eyes. It's not bullying if you never said it to their face, right? But it was me who couldn't measure up. I tried to live out your story, beating my fists and all along wondering where I went wrong. To my best friends, one, two, three, where would I be without you? Without you. This is exactly where I wanted to be. Because if I could snuff you out, not let you get too far too bright, then maybe... You wouldn't leave me behind. Out of sight, out of mind, that's how I used to think of this jealousy of mine. To the girl on YouTube, barely out of high school, making money, taking names with her Mac Mac brushes and her beauty hacks. 
I used to watch your videos back to back, hoping one day, maybe I'd look like that. People up in my DMs sliding through selfies taken on my iPhone lens. I don't even know if I use that phrase correctly. Just goes to show, I don't really want your life. I think you're cool, but being a copycat makes me no cool cat. I've got a filter too, it's not as pretty as your sepia. Yeah, because it's colored green. But lucky me. Thank God he helped me see the worm beneath the shiny surface. It happened on a Sunday, raised my hands to pray, and the camera crew shined a light on me. Put me up on the TV screen. Not the spotlight I'd been hoping for, no, it was so much more. I saw a pile of dirt from where the worm had came. Heart dropped palms, sweat. Look around, but no one seemed to see this prequel made just for me. The holes in my heart on a projection screen, all about me, myself, and my jealousy. So maybe I'll never be insta-famous, speak to thousands of people, or be on any A-list. But I've come to realize that the B-list is just right for me, the one where I get to be me, and there... I don't have to hate nobody, including. So to all the girls I've ever hurt, tried to take a piece of because I thought mine were missing, forget the haters, the ones I used to be, the people who can't stand to see you shine because it would bring them to their knees, witness their own mediocrity. All I can ask just be kind. Dust yourself off and leave them all behind. One day they'll catch up. I know I did. But don't waste your time on getting them to like you. I didn't even like myself yet. Oh, wow. That is that. Ah. I, I, uh, I had to interject humor because I was, uh, <laughs> I was moved. So when I interject humor in that position, in that spot, it was because I was very uncomfortable. Good. Very, yeah, very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks for letting me do that. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Thank you. You should come down every week and do like a poetry slam at the end of every episode. Yeah, I should totally do That'd that. That'd be awesome. Could yeah. like live stream from Red Deer Poetry Slam. Yeah. We could do it over the phone, couldn't we? Yeah. We could. We could call it like phone poetry or poetry on the line Ooh, yeah on the line, on the line. fucking poets <laughs> <laughs> we're a little awesome. crazy i love it thank you very much yeah is there anything else you want to talk about um i don't know i feel like we went through like a lot of my life story you probably know more about me now than a lot of people do well i'm they're gonna know anyway yeah, know I know. Soon enough. Well, I know. My family asked me, they're like, so when can we uh, listen to this podcast? And I was like, <laughs> you mean when do I decide I want you to hear this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think you did great. Thank yeah. you. I, and I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing that. Some hard stuff that you shared. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. You're welcome. Um, if you, uh, what's your website? You, you have a website. Uh, yeah, it's just on Facebook right now because okay. I am technologically deficient and can't get my website running. But it's on Facebook at Butterflight by Brittany, capital L in flight. 
Butterflight, right? Butterflight, yeah, like B U T T E R F capital L I G H T. Perfect. By Brit. By Brit. Yeah, make it specific. That's for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morijo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, being a guest on the podcast, or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or find us on Facebook at Freedom's Path Recovery Society. If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.